It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no. But angel hair pasta, Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I am the Echo's Everton FC correspondent. Alongside me here in the Echo offices in Liverpool City Centre, got my colleague Matt Jones, and we've got regular contributor Gav Buckland as well, live from his live from his home or his medical centre. As his voice is about to go before the head of Goodison. Well, I'm going to jump straight into it because we've done a lot of preamble earlier on in this week. I've just got back from Finch Farm. I've had my date with with Sean Dyche. We have an idea of what the team news is going to be now going into this weekend. So just to recap for anybody that hasn't heard so far, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is out. Ben Godfrey is out. Nathan Patterson is out. Amadou Inanna, contrary to some reports, according to Sean Dyche today, is fit. Uh, Vitaly Mikalenko looks like as he looked like at the bit back in the last week, touch and go. He's going to train tomorrow. They're going to see to his drills. And then the last one, which probably doesn't come into a lot of people's thinkings, but Andros Townsend, obviously we know he played the under-21s recently. We know he's been getting better and stronger. It doesn't really look as though he's going to play much of a part tomorrow. Uh, sorry, on Sunday. So bearing in mind all that team news, bearing in mind that we now have some degree of um, the parameters within which Deitch is working with this weekend, Matt Jones... What's your starting line Oh, wow. That's that's a hard question. Um, I, I think from what he said about Mikalenko, you get the sense that he's just going to try and get him on the pitch, isn't he, one way or another? Because as much as I think McNeil actually played well as a left-back at, at Wolves, it, it took a lot from our attack and play, didn't it, in terms of being able to transition. Um, so I think you get Mikalenko on the pitch. I mean, you get Mikalenko on the pitch, you can play a back four. Because um, I don't really think he's a wing-back. He's definitely more of a, a full-back. And then... I think you just try and get as close as, as you possibly can to that, that formula that works so well against against Brighton. Um, I know it's going to be a different game, and I know there's going to be more and areas on Everton to be on the front foot, given what's at stake. You'll have to play it against Brighton um, with, you know, Garner and the Trisha Gay, the Gore just in front, it won't be McNeil wide. You can play the two centre-backs that played in that game as well. You can play the left-back that played in that game as well, the goalkeeper that played in that game as well. But obviously there's massive voids at, at right back and up front, isn't there? Um, but I would try and maintain that, that structure and that team and keep nine of those 11 cogs in place. Right back, I think the only option for me is Mason Holgate, who has, who has got his flaws, clearly, and did not play well there against Crystal Palace. Um, but then again, we also had Michael Keane played there for a spell against Wolves, which was you know, a little bit terrifying at times, although he obviously did well for the goal in the end. Um, so I'll go Holgate at right back and, and Gray up front. So I'll go the back four, 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 one, one, if you like. Gray up front, Holgate at right back. I think of the two big calls for me. Really is a case, I think, that Mikalenko holds the key to to a lot of this, really, because I think he's the only route to um, Deitch being able to play a back four. Yeah. And I think what we've seen so far from these Deitch sides is they look far better when he can stick to that clarity of approach, remain consistent with that four, five, one formation. If he hasn't got Mikalenko, 
I don't think he can do that because what then your option is maybe Dwight McNeil at left back or it's Mason Holgate back at left back and then someone like Connor Cody, Michael Keane at right back. Yeah, I'll, what would you do if Mikhailenko's not fit? How long he got? I think. I think like how many? This is probably good news for people listening to the podcast, but I'm losing my voice, so. Uh, I just passed the fitness test as well, just to get on. Um, so, now I think, I mean, they have to look at three at the back, but I think Bournemouth play four, don't they? They play like four, two, three, one, or four, five, one themselves, don't they? So, you'd probably want to match up. I mean, I, I, I've not got a problem playing Colgate left back. If Michael not playing, I've got not got a problem playing Holgate left back, Cody right back. The one thing we can't, we need to avoid is play McNeil left back. So, simple, in a game that we've got, you know, probably got to win. You know, you can't, you can't do what started like we did last week and have all them positional changes and stuff. I think you've, you've got to, you know, we, at home, home to Bournemouth is a different different kettle of fish to Wolves away. And I, think I can see why you'd want a little bit more of a safety first at Wolves, but at Bournemouth at home, but they've got nothing riding on it. I think you've got to go, you know, it's got to be a mix and match, hasn't it? Cozy right back, Colgate left back, something like that. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Both of them, McNeil, left back, um, because it's it just you know we, we need we need our best, well our most prolific scorer and most so sort of creative outlet up the in the final third, don't we as often as possible in a must win game really. So yeah, we can fudge the like full backs. I'm not really bothered at this stage to be honest with you. But just avoid last week. It really does feel that way, doesn't it? I mean, Neil's got to start as close to his best position as possible because we're already a side that's shown off its best attacking threat up top in the loss of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. If you then remove um, Dwight McNeil from left wing back and then you're in, I feel like with Sean Dyche, his idea with his first choice is has been good, it's been effective. It's got Everton into a position that we didn't expect to necessarily be him when he joined with that is going to the final day with Everton's fate in their own hands and I think he deserves some credit from that. Where I think he's been questionable is when he's been forced into changes, that's when he's made some strange decisions. And even against Wolves, you know, there was there were more straightforward ways of solving the issue at Wolves last week than all the changes that he made. And then Dominic, sorry, Dwight Manil ends up at left back, and then Alex Awobi ends up at left midfield, and then James Garner ends at right midfield, and it was just an absolute mess in the end. I think even to start with, even then before you get to the injuries. Matt Dominic Alvarez out, we know that. Let's work on the basis that Michelangelo is fit so you can stick to that 4 5 1 that we all hope remains the case. Who's that one for you? It's got to be great, hasn't it? I think it's, it, it seems like, you know, Alice Sims, despite coming on and, and scoring a, a really good goal at Chelsea, has hardly played any minutes at all since since then, has he? He, he started two games all season under Dice and you sort of look at both of those games now away at Anfield and Old Trafford and it, and it kind of feels like Dice felt we're not probably going to get anything from this anyway and may as well give him a go as opposed to thinking he can, he can really make a difference so I think he's going to be on the bench and you sort of look at it and think you'd probably be surprised if he got on given the key he was preferred up front um, Mope I think is just one of those that you know I'll have nightmares about that Fulham game I think for the rest of my life when he, when he last started up front for, for Everton because I think if you're going to Look at the way Daesh wants his teams to play and wants his teams to attack. I, I can't think of a centre forward really who's less suited for that way of, of playing in terms of not being able to be productive as back to goal, can't challenge in the air, can't run the channels, isn't going to really put his head in where it hurts in the box. 
And listen, Damari Gray, he's not got many of those attributes as well, but I sort of look at it and think if Everton are going to be knocking the ball into channels, um, he's probably better at that. He's probably a bit better off the ball in terms of pressing as well, a bit quicker to close down defenders. And, you know, I can imagine situations in this game where it's maybe ambling along a little bit. And things that are going to get the Goodison crowd up are the forward closing down the left back and then the left back kicking out into play and everyone getting up and everything squeeze. You know, it's going to be that, that type of game, I think. And, and Gray thinks going to be able to do that a bit better than Mope. I think, crucially as well, if you're going to rely on a player to create something out of nothing and just conjure a moment in a game which might be tight and might be tense, then I think Gray is, is probably the, the most likely player in the squad to do that, really. You know, we've seen what he's done in the past, not as frequently as we would have liked, admittedly, but he has been able to just, just pick these little moments every now and then, like the City goal, like the Arsenal goal last season. I think it's it, it's got to be him for me with, with the core he's sort of supporting and offering that, that physical presence. Even I think for that second half at Wolves, Everton really didn't look like scoring for the vast majority mm. of that second half. Well, pretty much all of it. Um, the one element of threat that felt there was, that did remain, that was consistent, it was just that metronomic, Damari Gray picks the ball up on the left flank, steps inside, tries to rifle away. And we've seen it work against against Bournemouth earlier on the season. Um, we've seen it work uh, at Manchester City as well. And, you know, he, all right, he didn't really test um, the keeper, uh, Daniel Bentley, last week. I mean, he, he but he, what he did get was two corners from the, you know, he Bentley fluffed one save, put out for a corner, and then the other one, I think, you know, hit someone's head and went behind. And then next thing you know, well, one thing we do know is Everton are a little bit better, certainly when Yeri Mina's on the pitch, yeah. uh, attacking those set pieces. I think that's a weakness that Bournemouth have got as well, which is something that, I mean, if if, if, Everton's, attack, uh, if Everton's attacking strategy comes down to trying to get Dwight McNeil to shoot from long range so they can earn corners, then that probably tells us a lot about why Everton are in the mess that they're currently in. But that's probably for the next week rather than yeah. this week, I think. Um, Gav, if they can get the free in midfield, it probably comes, and everyone's fit as was suggested within that 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 element of the team. Probably comes down to Amadou Inanna versus James Garner to play alongside Adelaide Decore and Idrissa Gay. Who's winning that battle for yourself? James Garner, yeah. um, who I think is our he does it the guess at the moment is our best midfielder. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles. And bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Okay, if we're going to recreate this old pic of us that mom posted, we've got to get the outfits right. Well, for some reason, I can't find gauchos with a matching shrug anywhere. Let me try on my Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. I just use the S Pen to circle the outfit in the post, and bam, five sites to buy it from right here. Shut up. How did you... You shut it. Mom's coming. Cute outfit. Get me one. (laughs) (laughs) Circle it, find it. With the new Galaxy S24 Ultra and circle the search with Google. Upgrade now at Samsung.com. Internet connection required. Results may vary based on visuals. Um, to be honest with you, you know, and that goes back to last week, doesn't it? Really, the folly of playing McNeil, and I know you've spoken about it this week, Joe, on your several podcast appearances elsewhere. Um, but you know, the uh, the 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 thing he was wasted last week, and he put the fact he put in a good performance wise, right? And sort of blaming the fullback area is testimony to what a good player he is. And we, we can criticize our recruitment strategy over the last few years, but I think Garner's a really good player. And I, I see I see his future. I think he could be a future six for us, never mind the race. I think he can do a job as a six. And I I'd uh, I'd easy I'd, 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 I'd say actually, you know, for sort of 
your first names on the team sheet. For me, he's one of them at the moment. And and uh, that I all day long, Rick Garner guy. I mean, well, it's more Garner guy or Anana really, not Garner. If you know what I mean. Uh, and but you've going on about Anana's fitness as well. I don't think he was fit last week totally. Uh, but I, I think I think the type of game on on Sunday. I think you might need Garner Gay's experience as well, mightn't you? A little bit. Quite possibly. I mean, he's got he's got no voice, a questionable internet reception, but he can still get the barbs in. <laughs> yeah, um no, no, I think I think um yeah, definitely Garner Gay and Garner for me, mid the uh, midfield. I think with with Garner, like the, the comparison between Garner and Anana is really interesting because with Anana, it feels like if he played in this game, which is a huge game in an atmosphere which is going to be so lively, like you could get a performance like he put in against Arsenal. Like he feels like the character, that character sometimes that will rise to it and will will just you know he will, he will be in you know all the players in our squad. I think he's probably one of the few that you'd say could thrive in this this kind of atmosphere. But I also think he's probably as likely to do something mad and get sent off or get an early booking that would also be you know, put him on the back foot. So it feels like with him, if you're going to throw him at the weekend, you could get an eye, you could get an Arsenal, or you could get a four, and you could get a Wolves last week where he should have just dragged Noah Dharma, Troy Lorraine down, and he didn't look completely on it. Whereas I think with Garner, I think two things, I think in terms of temperament, he looks, he feels like someone who's going to be a bit more level-headed in that environment. And I think in a game which is going to be mad and frenetic, he's just a bit better on the ball. And it feels like if you want someone to just keep the ball, make a smart decision in the field for... At a time in the game when you know the crowd's a bit anxious, maybe they've had something you know without the team score, that it's getting a bit edgy. I think James Garner is just going to let the team breathe and take a you know take a step back a little bit and not get caught up. Whereas in Arnie, you know, you can see him when you like you know rallying the crowd up, diving into tackles and that sort of thing, which can be good. But he's still a young player. He has shown little moments of naivety, I think, in the last few weeks. So I think I agree with Gal. I think Anana would be. A gamble and a, and a bold choice, but I think James Garner is the safe choice, and I think Sean Dice is a manager who will make the safe choice. I think what you say there it speaks to, to Amadou Anana's immaturity, doesn't mm-hmm. it? At the minute, and that's not that's not a criticism. He's such a young player, and he's coming into playing at such a high standard. He's still got to learn his trade. And I think one of the shames of the way in which this season has unfolded for Everton is is the because they've been under pressure for every minute of every single game. There just hasn't been the opportunity for maybe some of the, the, the landmark younger figures like Garner, like Anana, to kind of gain, gain experience in a pressure-free environment and make mistakes where it doesn't matter if, if, if um, you know, the consequences aren't quite as severe. Then also some, bringing some of the younger, even younger players through as well. But I also think as well with, with Amadou Anana, at, at this stage in his career, and I think some of his best performances for Everton this season, have been when the game has come to him. Has been when the other team are willing to attack, especially through the middle, and he can be that disruptive force. He's very good at getting those interceptions, putting those large-ditch tackles in, winning the ball 30 yards from Pickford's goal, and then potentially springing the tackle. I think what I found with Anana is the frustrating thing is he hasn't quite got to the point where he... It's once he gets the ball, that's where his his difficulty has started. That's where his game needs to improve. It's been a few games... Remember thinking this the first half an hour against Newcastle. Remember thinking this against Tottenham as well, where he was very good at those defensive attributes. And he was so good that quite often he ends up with a ball with half a yard, uh, you know, 30 yards from his own goal. But then he'll take a few strides forward, but he'll go down a rabbit hole yeah. or he'll pick the wrong pass or something like that. And I think in this game, 
because it's the end of the season and because you've got no idea how Bournemouth are going to approach it, but you'd be very surprised if they're going to go out all out attack. You'd be very surprised if Bournemouth are going to put great story coming on to Everton. So therefore, what probably happen is the midfield will probably have a little bit more time, a little bit more space on the ball, a little bit more composure will be necessary because they'll have the time to think about what they're doing. I think in that case, with from what we've seen so far, and certainly because the form that he's in, because probably alongside McNeil and Pickford, he's probably in the top three most informed players. Maybe Yeramina could have a, a, an argument to be in there as well. Just feels like Garner's a safe bet there, doesn't it? I think. And then I think Anana would be good to bring up the bench. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if, you, if, it's, if you need a goal later on and you just need to like crash the box of like loads of big lads and we're going to do what we did against Wolves where you're just, you know, hoping for a header and a knockdown and something to break for, you know. Someone of his physicality and presence coming on against a potentially tired team, like it, it could be a nice little option for us there. Later. And Anana's clearly going to be a big talent. The question yeah. with Anana really, and obviously part of this first element of this discussion will be solved on, you know, the final list on Sunday will be where he makes the next stage of his development. Obviously, if Everton stay up, then yeah, the need to sell him becomes far less and, and may well be that, that he gets some, we get to see those strides at Goodison Park next season because I know after that Arsenal game, he was the talk of that Arsenal dressing room. There were star names in there, obviously, at that point on their way to hoping that they were going to win the Premiership and he was the topic of conversation because of how well he had played and how much difficulty they had faced had facing him. We'll stick... Just to Sean Dyche for one last second, because I know, Matt, you were following the press conference. Last night, there was a story that broke in one of the national newspapers. It looked, if we're being perfectly honest, I don't want to disparage other journalists or anything like that, but it looked questionable as soon as as soon as soon you read it. The idea that Everton at this stage were sounded out other managers already looking towards a replacement for Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche, I mean, just so people know, we haven't followed up because we don't see a, any real credit in it at this stage. And, and that's certainly been the, the story from Everton, you know, when, when spoken about it behind the scenes, there has been, there, there is nothing in this report has got the wrong end of the stick, unfortunate and obviously bad timing with everything else that's, you know, going on in the build up to such a big game. But he was asked about this, Matt. I was interested. What did you think about the way in which he answered this? It was a little bit strange. Like I, I don't know if you like you knew it was the last question in the open section. You just thought, oh, I want to get out of here and I sort of gave a, a bit of a flippant answer. But for anyone who's not seen it, you sort of said, well, it wouldn't be a surprise if the club will look at alternatives because that's what succession planning is and that's what you know you, you expect to happen. And he sort of shrugged it off a little bit. And I suppose he, he is right there, isn't he? Because like when we talk about like clubs like Brighton being like one of the, the great examples for us, like one of the things that we tend to say is that if the Zerbi was to get coached by Tottenham or Chelsea tomorrow, then you can imagine they'd have their next manager lined up. And obviously it's different circumstances to us because they're coming from a position of positivity where we're in a much more negative situation. But yeah, I, I, I just thought it was it, it was Daesh being Daesh. Um And I think that's, listen, that, that's going to be a question I think that's going to be asked from some section of the fan base with regards to the outcome of the weekend. I think um, if we stay up, obviously I think, you know, overwhelming majority will, will, will say, you know, Sean Dice definitely deserves a chance going into next season. But I think if we go down, it's it's an entirely different question. I think all facets of the football club from the top to the bottom need to be looked at. And um, in my opinion, and you know, fully examined and making made a decision on. So um yeah, it, it was it was a strange question. Maybe maybe just a little bit of levity for, for Sean Dice after what was quite a, a full on intense press conference where he's being asked about, you know, the future of the football club hmm. and Premier League status and everyone being a little bit nervy. So 
wouldn't read too much into it, but I, I do agree with what he said as well no. in that answer. I mean, there's a different kind of the succession planning, yeah. which is what's gone right and where they got potted. It's been there for a couple of years, you know, ridden the crest of a wave and, and took the club forward. And then you bring in a, a like minded manager, yeah. already scared them out. And then there's handing someone a two and a half year contract to try and save the club. They, <laughs> pot- they potentially save the club, and then you're still going to bid him off for potentially, yeah. you know, a former Botafogo. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if there, if there had been any truth, if there is any truth in that, then I mean, I think for a lot of supporters who would be hoping that Everton are just about to get to the brink of some sort of stability and common sense to to, yeah. to the approach, well, that would. So that would be a red flag, I think, wouldn't it? If, if that was type of thing was happening right now, given everything else that's going on on the pitch and off the pitch, Gav, we've you know we've got the game on Sunday. It's as big as they come. Where I mean, you're someone who's obviously you know, there are a few people who know Everton's history as uh, with the depth of knowledge that you do. When you're thinking about this game. And when you're thinking about everything that surrounds it on Sunday, can you, how, how do you put it into context? Where, where does this rank in terms of, you know, biggest games in, in Everton's history? Uh, right up there. I'd yeah. say, I'd say certainly greater than importance, greater than the games in 94 and 98. Um, for two reasons. A, the, the, the total dependence the club has got now in terms of the you know staying in the Premier League because of its own finances, and also because of the gap, just generally whether our finances are in good shape or not, the gap between the the, the, the Premier League and the Championship in terms of of money that was not that gap in the nineties wasn't as wasn't as massive. So for those two reasons, uh, definitely, and put on top of that, the new stadium. You know, we're talking. Been talking earlier on the week, haven't we, about future investments and, and all this. It, it, there's, a, there's an argument to say that in terms of shaping the future, one game in terms of shaping the future of the club, then there's been no more important one than this in Everton's history, uh, to be honest with you. And yeah, there's games where you've won trophies and stuff and finals, and there I get that, and important day games, but. They're just in the moment things, aren't they? You win a trophy, it's fun about you playing next season. But in terms of shaping the future of the club, it, it's 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 the most important. Certainly in my 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 lifetime, and I can't think of anything before the the nineteen sixties when the wealth in the game wasn't there. Mm. And you you, you know you, if you got relegated, you had okay, but it was part of the ebbs and flows of football. It's massive, massive. Um, to be known, I'm just trying to think in terms of just expanding that beyond Devon, in terms of a important Premier League game for any club in Premier League history in terms of shaping its importance. I can think of very few more than the, the, any other club, really. I mean, it feels you like know. this going to be, you know, if Everton were to, and obviously we hopefully this isn't going to be the case and the course Evans' fate lies in their own hands, but it, it, would, it would be one of the biggest relegations from top like football in decades. Yeah, is it, the, it would be the club with the most uh, league titles to go down, is there something like that, I believe? Um, so yeah, but it's 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 there's, there's two aspects to it, isn't it? There's the heritage and the status of the club and seventy years in the top flight or whatever it is. There's that, but there's the, the more immediate, you know, the more immediate concern around our finances, all the stuff we talk about every week, everybody talks about every week. That's that's the more damaging issue, isn't it? Really. 
This episode is brought to you by Auto Trader. Look around. What do you see? Cars. Lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, if you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. New, used, electric, and one day, maybe even flying cars. See a car? Find it on Auto Trader. Visit autotrader.com to learn more. Aston Villa have gone. Similar heritage. Closest similar heritage have gone down the last 15 years, haven't they? Aston Villa have gone down. Newcastle have gone down. Clubs, probably in our sort of peer group, you know, they come back up and stuff. Their damage is just to their reputation. With us, it's a lot more than that, isn't it? It's the it's it's the it's the financial damage, not the prestige. You know, the damage to the prestige, of course, but it's it's the financial damage and the, you know, with the stadium and all this. It's it's just you can, it's just beyond. I think I could try to think of a concept that's big enough to describe it. You know, it is. You know, the more I think about it, it's it's unquestionably the biggest uh, game in the club's history. Um, but only if we get beat, if we win. Really different, or draw, even you know, in certain circumstances, or um, nervous now, if possible. Like, not yeah, really- well, no, it's a, fair, it's a fair question, though, isn't it? No, it, to be fair, it's probably not something you want to tell the players before the game, is it? Really, you know, I hope the northern listen anyway. <laughs> well, but I'd certainly say, I'd say the same terms of shaping the, 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 the short, medium, possibly long term future of the club at any time. This is, um. This is the biggest game, uh, to be honest with you. And Gab, of, of those games in the 90s, how how does it, this compare in terms of the build-up? to? I mean, obviously, you know, you'll remember those games and going into them and you, you know, to a certain extent, your thought process and your fears, your anxieties, your doubts. Obviously, you know, we, we talk about the weight of history and the context in which you've just put this, this game, but how did, how, how did those games feel going into them? Um, and, and was it any different how this feels? Uh, two words: social media. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I think, I think that's the that's the big difference, isn't it? Then in the nineties, just generally, you had you know the newspapers, the echo and stuff, and there was natural breaks in terms of thinking about the game, talking about the game, all that type of stuff. Where now, because of social media, because of the way people communicate, mobile phones and stuff like that. It, it, it's a constant flow of information and anxiety and worry and, and stuff like that. There's no, there's no escape from it, is it really? And that's the difference, isn't it? It, it just it feels. I want to say, I want to say more intense. It's just more of a more permanent state of anxiety, really, uh, compared to you know 25 years ago. Um, I think that's that's the main difference. And that's the main difference with football. It's the main difference in life, isn't it? Really, if you extend it, really, um, and and that's 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 the biggest difference to me compared to to watching football twenty five years ago. It's really interesting that you kind of talk about that as well, because obviously we know that the way in which the world has changed, both in news and sport, with the twenty four hour news cycle and the intensity of social media. It's strange. Well, I've been a reporter for thirteen years in in various guises, and you know. As, as big as Sunday is and as important as it is and as much as you could kind of, you know, write reams and reams and reams of stuff in the build up to it, for all that, I got to probably Monday evening and thought, 
you know what? There's almost no point left in writing anything else. Like it's like it like it's art. Like I got to I got to Monday and I was like, I can't add anything to this. And you know, it, it finally it kind of feels like we're just at a point now. And I think on a personal level, a lot of people have been thinking this way, whether they're involved in this professionally or personally. And that is, it just needs to happen. Like there's almost it almost feels like, and obviously we're doing this and making it a living out podcast, and this is the third of our week, but. Almost feels like there's no point to talking or thinking because all you ever do is go around in circles. Now, isn't it? You're just yeah. It's the point out me where there's you know there's no there's no Monday morning for Emerson. It's it's Sunday afternoon, isn't it? And that, that's it. Like, there there is no tomorrow for this football club. You know, we, we we've spoken so many times, and you know, down this season, and you know, I I came out of the Fulham game and thought that's it, we're gone, and I came out of the Newcastle game and thought that's it, we're gone, but like. There's always that little bit in the back of your mind which thought, well, maybe they can go to Brighton and get something, you know, maybe they can go and and, and uh, beat Leicester, maybe they can get something against Wolves. You know, we've got Bournemouth on, on the last day, and you kick that metaphorical can down the road a little bit in your mind, and now we kicked it down the road so much that we're facing it a brick wall, and that, and that and that's it. There, there is there is nowhere else to go with it now. Like Everton have got to win a football match on Sunday. You know, we 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 you know. We've moved forward so much throughout the season. We've, we've talked about all these permutations. We've looked at other teams' fixtures. We all nearly passed out when Timmy Pika Stanier hit that shot on, on Monday night. And, you know, we've all been through the ring game. We've, we've done all the additions. But now now we're here. We've, we've reached the point of no return. We've reached the point where there is no tomorrow for this football club because we can't think about it. And like, like I've said there, he's outlined all the potential permutations. It does not. It does not bear thinking about. It's it's, it's a horrendous situation, and it's not because we're sitting here going, "Oh, Everton have won nine league titles. We're we're too good for the championship." We're not. We're, we're not. If your if your run as badly as Everton are, and you get relegated, you absolutely deserve it. That that's not what's beyond this. You know, it's disputable here. It's that what would happen to the club in terms of the finances if we went. You know, what would happen? You know, just just from like an emotional point of view of like being at Goodison Park for, for the last season of, of the championship and not like it's, it's not embarrassing it's just quite it's just quite it's quite sad on there you know for, for the last you know all the years of history and all the things that Everton have done at that stadium if the last year at that ground was to be playing second tier football it would be it'd be a really sad end to this this great footballing institution and that's why it's that's why you right church also feels we reached the point of well you just got to go and do it now like go and win a football match and secure your place in the Premier League and that's easy said than done, honestly, for a side that's only won seven times in the league this year. But it's just, it's a straightforward equation now when it's up to those players and the managers that's going to deliver on it. It's really interesting. Hey, sorry, uh, Joe, can I just add something to Matt said there? I was, I was talking about this yesterday and I'm being too big to go down. You know, this concept of we're too big and stuff like this is um, in the, you know, Deloitte have that top 20 list of the richest clubs in the world and there's, there's 10 English clubs in it. So once you take off, take off, off the big six, the four remaining clubs in 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 order of wealth are West Ham, Leicester, Leeds, and Everton, and three of those teams could get relegated on Sunday. Well, obviously, you know, three of those teams got a possibility of getting relegated on Sunday, and one one's only survived two games from the end of the season. Well, and and that that tells you everything, doesn't it? Really, around whether you're too big. Well. There's clubs bigger than us in the Welsh League who could go down with us, you know, and and, and that's and that's the thing. We're not too big to go down, um, and it it, raised, it 
raises questions about the future, about about other other bits about the gap between us and so-called smaller clubs is not that great. So, you know, if you're not in the big six, the possibility is in future you will be in a relegation fight because you've not got enough wealth to separate you from your competitors. And I think that's that's something to discuss in the summer about the future. But it just struck me yesterday when I was talking about it, there's, there's clubs in our own league who are wealthy in us, in theory, who could go down ahead of us this season. And um, so, therefore, we're not big enough, you know, that thing that we're not, and we shouldn't be going down because we're at two big. It's just not true, is it? No, I think one of the conversations that we'll probably be having next week, regardless of what happened, is, and we had it, of course, after the back end of last season as well, was the way in which Everton, you know, certainly over recent years have perhaps squandered the advantage that they might have had over other clubs, particularly all those ones outside the so called big six that yeah. have stayed up comfortably uh, at Everton's expense, whether that be, whether ever to go down or not, but have come to be finished high, including Bournemouth this season. Yeah, I, I just to just, you know, and, and I think there's a story there. And I think it is, if you're not in a big six, but are quite big, you can fly too close to the sun, can't you, sometimes financially? And I think that's certainly impacted at least two, possibly three out of those four clubs. And um, it's just an interesting thing, isn't it? Why is that group nearly all three out of the four could have gone down this season? Two of them definitely will. It feels to me like this is the season, the Premier League, where like, the clubs that have, have been well run are getting what they deserve. And like the clubs that have been complacent and poorly run are getting what they, they deserve as well. Like you look at Everton and Leeds and like the slapdash nature of like the recruitment and the way in which they change managers and, and directors of football and, and the owners not really seem to have a grip on what's going on. Like it's, you know, Everton and Leeds are sort of getting what they deserve and where they are in the sense where you look at teams like Brighton and Brentford who have sort of, you know, come up in recent years and got a, a body of really solid foundations there in terms of good work, good recruitment, getting the right manager in. Like they're getting what they deserve by the fact that they're they're up in the, the top echelons of the Premier League and, and we're down where we are. And it just sort of feels like, you know, I'm not saying Everton would deserve to get relegated necessarily, but they, they've done a lot of bad things which have put them in this position. And it's vital whatever happens on, on Sunday that, that, you know, Monday morning, that, that starts to turn around for the better. Otherwise, we're going to be in the same position again. Well, that's it. I think yeah. we go from we'll, we'll go straight. Whatever happens, Everton will go for, straight from one of the biggest games in their history to possibly the biggest summer in the club's history. Because obviously, if the worst was to happen and Everton were to go down, then everything needs to be in place for them to, to get back up as quickly as possible. Because you know, if you go down, you come straight back up. You can mitigate a lot of the damage. But once you sound there for for more than a season, that's it. Then you become really trapped and really bogged down. Especially where you bear in mind what Gav's just said. Obviously, a lot of people from the outside looking in and will be saying, "Well, Everton will go down, but their riches will mean that they'll be in pole position to go up." Well, you have in the fact that one of Leicester and Leeds, who have comparable financial status, will also be in there. Well, there's. There's, a, there's another rival there immediately, and obviously Southampton will have gone there and had a little bit more time to prepare for it. And there are clubs down there in the Championship, albeit among a few, but who are some of whom have reason, relatively, you know, relatively decent wealth, and some of whom are more of the Brighton and the Brentford mould. Obviously, we still look at you know, Luton, it's the second time that they've reached the playoffs this season. Clubs that have just started to get it right and know the terrain, know the territory now to succeed in that. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You know, maybe I'll be the Sunderlander amongst them you know, next season as well. So there are still some some big clubs there. So it really is going to be fascinating. Because even if Everton then stay up, well, then you, you, there will still be big decisions that need to be made because quite clearly they'll have had a, you know, they were lucky to get a second chance last season. If they get a third chance this season, it's incredibly fortunate again. You know, given given the points tally that would keep them up if they were to stay up, you know, they would be remarkably fortunate, as happy as we all would be come half past six on, on, on Sunday if Everton is still a Premier League club, of course. Um, Gav, going into the game, you know, we talked about the, the financial repercussions of football and repercussions. We talked about the anxiety, things like that. Slightly more lighthearted, albeit, you know, within the context of gloom because everybody wishes that we weren't in this situation. You know, do you have any, do you have any traditions? Are you going to be doing anything? Are you going to be doing anything on, on Sunday that you perhaps did ahead of the Palace game last year? You did for, you know, those two games in the 90s. You know, are you... Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. You know what? I think... You're going to have the best chance of survival. The best cost, Alan Star who celebrated, I think, winning the title by Clear Silver's fans. I may paint a decking outside our house on uh, Sunday morning just to uh, get that winning feeling, I think. Um, but now, you know what? I, I, I don't really have a few match ritual, uh, to be honest with you. Um, not really for me, but I was just thinking about that before. I've got to walk. It's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible kickoff time, isn't it? 4.30 on Sunday. It, it's, a, it's a bank holiday Sunday. So it's spoiled, isn't it? The football's got in the way of a bank holiday Sunday. So by the time you get outside the grounds, it's going to be half seven. And if it's a nice day, you would have been in the beer garden somewhere. And then you've got that nervous time where you can't really do much before the game because you're going out and stuff. So I'm, I'll probably paint the deck. And I hope uh, Mrs. Buckland is not listening to this podcast, though, uh, to be fair. Um, but yeah. Out the deck in the colour. You've got to go run it. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it would be brown, which would probably be quite uh, appropriate, uh, Matt, to be honest with you. So, yeah, definitely. I'll be, I'll, I'll, if that's my job. I'll be paying the deck on Sunday morning. Now you're getting the wrong seal, else? Uh, no, I'm, I'm in here. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the office. I'm, I don't know I don't know how I'm going to cope, but I mean, I'll take the dog for a nice long walk on, on Formby Beach on, on Sunday morning before I come in and just try and leave my phone at home and just try and forget that any of it's happening and then. In, in here into the uh, into the call face so to speak and just just crack on but I mean yeah I'm just just feel sick about the whole thing you know it just just comes in waves doesn't it you know I felt it's quite nice talking to you guys at the start of this podcast and then Gav described it as the biggest game ever in the Premier League and now it feels yeah um, so yeah it, it's going to be grim but you know I'm sure everybody will be there for, for each other in that ground on, on Sunday I'm sure they'll be there for the players Um I think you've got if you've got a scarf that you've not washed for years, don't wash it on Saturday. Uh, or maybe do wash and give it away and play it. You know? Don't don't shave your beard. Don't yeah. cut off your hair. Maybe maybe that's the way to do it. Like a lot of these superstitions, everyone's got up in work, and so maybe none of us should do our usual superstitions. We should just throw them all out the window on Sunday, and Everton will turn up. We'll play like 1970s Brazil, 
and it'll all be absolutely fine. Can we just be super Two nil up after ten minutes. Yes, yeah, that that would be great. Yeah, you know, Richardson scores for the Spurs. You know, Moyes is West Ham and running rise at the King Power, and we all just have a lovely afternoon. Gal could get up after an hour because it's sorted. Get to the beer garden like he wants to. Give it, give it second yeah, and, yeah, and he could go and do a second coke before the sun goes down. Yeah, because it's, it's all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? it? There's there's so many variables on Sunday. It's 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 such a difficult thing to because I, I I was trying to think about this earlier on, and um, I can't remember which game it was, but it was earlier on this. It was it was in Dice's reign. What was the game when they put scores on during the second half on the screen? Uh, it was. Was it Villa? Or Villa. I think it was Villa. Yeah, uh, I just uh, unless Everton are two 0 up and the others and Leeds are lesser two 0 down. And it just relieves some of the pressure. Anywhere else. Oh, we'll be the only ones that can Anyone in the ground. You can't get a signal anywhere. So, I mean, you could make a fortune outside if you sell off the, the Wi-Fi password for, yeah. for the first yeah. one. And on the Twitter. Yeah. Or, or even, even transistor radios. If you were answering the ground on a Sunday, you know, sell them. Yeah, it's just, um, let's face it, it's not a position you want to be in, is it really? Be, be dramatic, but let's face it, um, you'd rather, rather not be like that. It's just, as I say, it, it's I can't undersell the, the importance of the importance of the game historically for us. I think if we labour that point any further, then yeah, we're going to turn difficult Friday afternoon into a, it's already going to be a very difficult weekend. We don't need to go down that any further. So hopefully, as we bring to close the final Royal Blue of the season, obviously we will be back next week. Of course, with everything else. Hopefully, I'm hoping that the two of you are going to give us a little bit of cheer. Your predictions, please. I'm going to start with you, Gav. Uh, Everton went 3 now. Oh, God. That would be amazing. That, that's a lot of clear shows. <laughs> I know. It's, it's that cough medicine you've been having. You've gone to your head, yeah. God. The throat, yeah. I, I, I don't think Everton will win, but I think they'll stay up. Oh, that, that's just going to be the worst, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just I just worry about the pressure and the nerves going into the game, and how it's going to affect them and Goodison. But somebody's been reminding me for the last few weeks. Um, I, I won't name them. Have been saying Leeds and Leicester are also rubbish. So just remember that going into the weekend. Um, so I think it's going to be a nervy day. I'm not sure Everton will win, but I think we'll do just enough. To get over the line. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I, I, I have some sympathy for your thought process there, and I think that the Everton's biggest enemy on Sunday is not Bournemouth, and it's not Leicester, and it's not Leeds; it's themselves. Mm. And my worry comes in if, say, for instance, after twenty minutes, seven still nil nil, and then Leicester go one nil up, and then it starts to filter into the ground, and we can all go, "Don't let it get to you. Stay positive, etc." But when it's human nature, and you know, it's going to make it difficult, but. I do think Everton see this through. I I do think that they do it by winning. I don't know when the first goal is going to come, but I do think it will be yeah, the last. I, I think Everton will win and win by a clear margin. I think it'll be two 0 to Everton. Um, I'm not saying I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that I don't think there'll be a point on Sunday where the live table doesn't have Everton in the bottom three. But I think even if that does happen, I think they do see it through. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know a lot of the conversations that we've been having over the last 45 minutes. The worst doesn't come. Um, however, obviously, like, you know, I think, I think we've, we've made this point a lot in the, in the coverage, um, certainly over the last five months of, of Everton at the Echo. Clearly what's going to happen is, you know, 
if they do stay up, which hopefully they do, to thought of them easily got to turn to how and if they fix the the mess is Everton Football Club, you know, straight from the final whistle onwards. So, but anyway, that's a much easier conversation to be having and discussing and speculating about if Everton a Premier League football club. I think that they will remain a Premier League football club, and I look forward, uh, listeners. You know, thank you very much for joining us throughout this season. When you next hear my voice, hopefully Everton will still be a Premier League club. And, you know, our coverage will be you know, less gloomy going over the summer because it'll be uh, another summer of hopefulness and optimism and belief that things might get a little bit better. Fingers crossed. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And, of course, stay strong. We know we're in for a couple of difficult days. Keep your faith in the side and keep our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And get the deck and paint out. Thanks very much for joining us. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.